Well, thank you. It's good to be here today. Um, Looking forward to this. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so let's, before we start, let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we can, then we can get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day morning that you've given us, for the opportunity we have to gather together here to, to look at your word here this morning right now, and then later on from, uh, from Pastor Doug and uh, what he has to say to us as well. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us and how it trains us and um, that every word from it from the Old Testament to the New is valuable and is profitable, as we're told. And we thank you for uh, what you're teaching us in it. Bless and lead and guide us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you don't know it, today we're, we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And I've got a flyer to hand out, but before I do, um, what are some things that you think you know or you do know or some facts or just some ideas what you have about the Ark of the Covenant, about different things, about just anything you know about it. What are some of those things that, uh, that you can think of offhand? But there were a lot of sevens, not twos. Okay. <laughs> Everybody says two by two. <laughs> okay, this is the Ark of the Covenant. So not Noah's Ark. There are different arks. Yeah. This <laughs> morning, I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. What I remember is that uh, if somebody touched the ark, they died when they were carrying it. Okay. Yeah. Don't touch it. Right. <laughs> All right. What else do you know about the ark? Anything about physical appearance? About Things that, you know, were involved with it. Anything you know? Yeah. It was kept in the Holy of Holies. Okay. Nate? I said don't stumble. <laughs> don't stumble? Okay. <laughs> right. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about that, too. Yeah, was it stumbled and died? Mm -hmm. It was laden with gold. All right, gold. Had the cherubim and seraphim. Mm -hmm. Call them angels, I guess. One on each yes, it was full of all the temple articles. Okay. I don't know how else to word all that. <laughs> Say it had tablets and Aaron's rod or tablets and the rod. Contents? Yes. The tablets. The bowls and the cups and on. Okay. I hadn't really thought about it too much, but when you think about laden with gold and full of all of these rocks and things, I'm picturing the thing was heavy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would think so. They had handles from the bottom that they carried that with with a thing. How many people were on that six? Um, in the pictures, it's usually four. Four. Okay. Yeah, but we'll talk about some of that too. Four strong men. <laughs> yes, and a certain type of man too. But we'll we'll go. So okay. So there's quite a few things, <clears throat> a number of things there. If you could, yeah, just. 
hand those out. I'm handing these out now because um, things that were on here are on this sh on this sheet as well, and just wanted to get some information from you guys as to what you remembered about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but God gave specific uh, direction or instruction about the Ark, and we're going to look at that today and 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 look at the instructions, what the hell, what the Ark looked like, what was inside. Um, what some of the symbolism is of that, where the ark went in its travels. It did have some travels that it took through, through the Holy Land. Uh, but let's look at Exodus 25. And first of all, we'll just read from there. Oh, okay. Give me a Kleenex because she and I have both been dealing with this cough and congestion and stuff and for like four weeks. And I, I finally... Couple weeks ago, I'm, I think I'm done with it. It's over. I'm not coughing anymore. But then it always seems to come, come back, especially when I talk a lot. Which um, usually in our house, she does most of the talking. I don't talk a whole lot. Um, but when I do a lot of talking, then it sometimes makes me cough too. So, uh, but she's been dealing with this too, taking antibiotics and everything. But it just keeps hanging on. I don't know if you guys have experienced that too. Um, uh, Exodus 25 and 10 through 22. So let's, um, maybe let's just go, uh, go around and read about uh, three verses each, and as we go through it, um, let's, uh, Nate, can you start? We'll start. Okay. Hanny, you got it? Exodus 25, you say? Yeah, Exodus 25, verse 10, and then... Okay. Why don't you just read the whole thing for us? We won't travel around. Okay. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside shall you overlay it and you shall make on it a mold, molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make two poles or poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain uh, in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half by its length, and a cubit and a half by its breadth. You shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the uh, two ends of the mercy seat. One, make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end of, on the other end. Of one piece with a mercy, mercy seat shall you make the cherub on its two ends. The cherub shall, uh, sorry, the cherub shall spread out their wings above 
overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces uh, one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the face of the cherub be. And you shall put on the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and uh, and in the ark you shall put the testimony I shall give you. There, there I will meet with you, and from a, from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherub that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in the commandment. For the people of Israel. All right, thank you. So, give some specific instructions, some specific directions. Now, the size that it that it says there is about in our, you know, about 45 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. So that's about the size that we're you know we're looking at. At the top of your handout is a is a representation of what it may have looked like. This is just one of many, many pictures that are out there. Obviously, we don't have the original uh, to look at and to see exactly what it looked at looked like, but this kind of fits the description of, uh, of what the ark may have looked like. Um, we still have some more. So we don't know exactly what, but that may be a close representation of what it looked at. Made from acacia wood, um, but overlaid inside and out with pure gold. The four gold rings um, fastened to the legs of it. Um, and then the poles of acacia that are also overlaid with gold, the atonement cover or the mercy seat, um, also called the mercy seat at the top with the two cherubim on each end facing each other with the wings um, overshadowing and, and covering it all. So it says it was also to house the tablets of stone on which God uh, wrote the Ten Commandments. And... What would be added later? I mean, uh, somebody mentioned uh, the rod. What else does anybody remember that was placed inside the, the ark later on? Now, what the rod here, um, that's the rod that uh, budded, Aaron's rod that budded, and then also the bowl of manna uh, from when the, ch- when the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness. That was put in there as well. Um, so what's the significance that we're looking at with all of this? The, the ark was actually the most significant um, of, uh, of any object in the Old Testament worship. And here we go. We'll give you, I'll travel back here and give you one of these too. Uh, it was the most significant uh, thing of the Old Testament worship. It was to be put, as someone said, into the Holy of Holies. So it was placed in the place where only the high priest would go once a year. Um, while the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, it was in a tent that actually made up the tabernacle with the Holy of Holies. And later on, um, it would be placed in the temple, which was built in Jerusalem. Um, 
As I said, it was made from acacia wood overlaid with, uh, with gold. Did, okay, you got a handout. And there's uh, J. Vernon McGee. My, my wife found a quote from J. Vernon McGee. And he had some very interesting things to say. I don't know if you remember J. J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> um, J. Vernon McGee said, It was thus a true symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ, setting forth both his deity, which was represented by the gold, and his humanity, which was represented by the wood. Um, said it spoke of him in the hypostatic union, which is very, very... God and very man of very man. The ark could not be spoken of as merely a wooden box, for it contained gold. It couldn't be spoken of as merely <clears throat> a golden chest, for, for it contained wood as well. It, it required both to maintain the symbolism pointing to Christ as the God-man. No doctrine is filled with such infinite mystery so far removed from man's thinking, so foreign to the realm of explanation, than is that hypostatic union of Christ. Yet there is no symbol so simple as the ark. Merely a box made of wood and gold, yet it speaks of things unfathomable. God truly chooses the simple things to confound the wise. This simple box tells the whole story so far as man can take it in of the unsearchable mysteries of the blessed person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I thought it was very good what J. Vernon McGee said there, if you'll excuse me a second. <laughs> okay, also of, of, of great significance as well regarding the ark was what took place um, involving the lid of the box, which is called the mercy seat. So it wasn't just a lid, just covering the top of this box. It was called the mercy seat. Um, the term mercy seat comes from uh, a Hebrew word meaning to cover, to placate, to appease, to cleanse, to cancel, to make atonement for. Uh, the Greek word in, for mercy seat in Hebrews 9.5 is Hilasterion, which means that which makes expiation uh, or propitiation, carries the idea of removal of sin. <coughs> In Ezekiel 43, the brazen altar of sacrifices is also called that same thing, the hysterion, hilasterion, or mercy seat <coughs> in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was here that once a year, the high priest would come in, enter the Holy Holies where the ark was kept, and atoned first for his sins and then for the sins of all the Israelites. The, the priest sprinkled blood on, um, of a sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat for the past sins that were committed. And this is the only place where that atonement could take place. And then God come down and he had rested as he said, above the mercy seat between the cherubim. That's where God said that he would meet um, with his people. The mercy seat and the ark, also a symbolic foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice for all sin, the blood of Christ shed on the cross for the remission of sin. In the New Testament, Christ himself is designated as our propitiation. 
Um, and the Apostle Paul, who was a former Pharisee, as you remember, um, familiar with the Old Testament, explains this in his letter to the Romans. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. <clears throat> so just as there was only one place at that time for the atonement of sins in the Old Testament, the mercy seat and, the, and on the Ark of the Covenant, so there's only one place for atonement in the New Testament, and that is the cross of Christ. By means of his death and our response to Christ through faith in him, all our sins are removed. Um, and we no longer look back to the, to the ark, but we look to the Lord Jesus Christ himself as the propitiation and atonement for our sins. So also said there was manna that was inside the, the, the ark of the covenant. What, what do you think the manna represented? Why, was, why do you think it might have been placed inside the ark? Remembrance of God's provision. Okay, God's provision. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. The, the manna inside was, of course, that as it, the life-sustaining food that God gave his people in the wilderness. The Lord sustained them with this, myrious, this mysterious bread. Uh, you remember what manna actually means? What is it? That's right. What is it? They didn't know what it was, but... It was, it was sustaining them. Um, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here we have the, the life-sustaining bread that God gave the children of Israel. And as we saw in John 6.33 here, Christ is that life-sustaining blood for the believer. Uh, so the significance is, um, is that, Christ's life-sustaining um, food for the believer. So what, what about the significance of Aaron's rod? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember the story at all about Aaron's rod? Anybody remember what happened with that? Something happened to the rod. It budded. It budded. Okay. Um, there were certain jealous men um, that had called Aaron's priesthood into question. God commanded that the rebels take their rods. I guess everybody had their rods that they walked around with. And, but the, the rebels take their rods and lay them down next to Aaron's rod. And then God made Aaron's rod bud. And uh, the, the rod was placed in the ark just as this showed that Aaron was the true priest, and, that was, and Aaron was the one that God was working through. Um, so uh, the, the, the rod was placed in the ark to show that Christ was the Lord's chosen and anointed priest as well. So each of these things had significance that were placed in there. So the Ten Commandments, the two tablets were placed in the ark, uh, showed that the moral law of God would forever stand before the presence of God and the law would be kept in Christ. Um, here you go, Matt. 
Thank you. So then the mercy seat, um, as you can see on the picture, was placed on top of the ark. Um, So when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, um, he, uh, first of all, he um, um, would have to make make, uh, an offering for himself and his family. And then after that, made an offering for the people as well. But when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he sprinkled the blood of that sacrifice onto the mercy seat above, between where the cherubim were, um, which represented to the atoning blood of Jesus. So Israel's sin formed a barrier between God and them, and our sins as well have separated us from God. So how can... A righteous man stand before um, before God um, because our sins have separated. That dilemma is solved through the blood of Jesus, just as the blood on the mercy seat stands between the law of God and the presence of God. Through the blood of Jesus, the transgressions of God's people have been forgiven as well. And the symbolism, the whole symbolism of the ark uh, reached its climax on the Day of Atonement when that blood sacrifice was sprinkled on the mercy seat and then the glory of God appeared. There was a, a, a picture there of the heavenly glory of God and the angels stand before the throne and praise him day and night. Now some have mentioned that there's another picture of um, the mercy seat as well. You remember when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb um, after Jesus Uh, was crucified and brought down. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Um, What did she see there? She saw the empty tomb, but she also saw two angels. Okay, there was the slab that Jesus had laid on, and she saw two angels on each side. Some are saying that, too, is a picture of the mercy seat. Um, where Jesus was laid, where, that's, where his blood was spilled, not literally on that slab, but you had the two angels and the slab there where Jesus, where Jesus had lain. Um, <clears throat> so the ark um, had a, actually a pilgrimage that it took as well, um, Children of Israel wandered, what, 40, 40 years in the wilderness, and the ark was carried before them on the golden poles by the priests following the cloud of the Lord, as we see in, in Numbers 10.33. <coughs> so there's, let me just set this up here. This doesn't actually show all the, all the cities here, but we'll look at kind of at this section down here, and I'll show you here in just a second, kind of the route uh, that they took uh, with, the, with the ark. Well, there you go. Tighten it up. Let's
Okay. <laughs> All right. So when the, the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, uh, they carried the ark with them into Canaan, and it was instrumental in their victory over, over Jericho, according to Joshua 6. The ark also appears in Joshua 8 when the city of Ai is destroyed by the Israelites and the covenant is renewed there and an altar is built and we see that the ark of the covenant is there as well. During the later part of the judges when apostasy was rampant in Israel, the decision was made to carry the ark from Shiloh into battle against the Philistines as a good luck charm. If you remember what happened and what happened there, but uh, the desecration of the ark of them doing that as a good luck charm uh, enraged the Lord, and he allowed the Philistines to win the battle and capture the ark. So it kind of went, um, like I say, it doesn't, the only city it shows that the ark was actually in is Ashdod. Here's Jerusalem right here. So it started actually crossed over here, but it started here, and they kind of made a trip down this way, Ashdod, and then I'll mention a few other places here as we get going, but ended up within a few miles of Jerusalem there, but all in the central part of Israel right there. Um, so the Philistines won the battle. They grabbed the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and took it to Ashdod, where they placed it in one of their temples, the Temple of Dagon. Um, but uh, that didn't work out too well for them, as you remember what, anything that happened there. Um, the ark kind of proved to be a hot box for the Philistines. Uh, all sorts of calamities started to afflict them. They decided, hey, we're going to return this ark. It's not really worth it for us. Uh, so it was first taken to Gath. Yeah. Um, but when the men of the city there, what happened to them? You remember they, they got tumors and all kinds of things um, in the city of Gath. They said, let's send this on. It went to Ekron, uh, where similar afflictions broke out. And uh, and at that time, you remember, any, you remember what happened, what they did with the ark then? Set it on a, on a cart. And <laughs> That's right. They said, uh, you know, this is a beautiful golden ark, but uh, it's not worth it to us. They set it on a, on a cart that was pulled by two cows and pointed it in the direction of uh, Jerusalem. And the cows wandered about until they arrived at the village of Beth Shemesh. Um, the people of that town heard that the ark was this something, this ark was out there. Um, they ventured out of curiosity to look at it. Some of them opened up the ark, um, and a great number of them, it says, was struck dead. Uh, that's in 1 Samuel 6. Um, and then they quickly decided that uh, they were just going to send this ark and continue it on its journey. Said so we've had enough of this, we're going to let it continue on its journey. Uh, it ended up in the village of Kiriath-Jerim, 
and that's located just a few miles outside northwest of Jerusalem. And it remained there for um, about 20 years in the house of Abinadab. Now, why couldn't they have been named Joe? (laughs) Frank. I know. There's a lot of... There's a lot of names here. That, um, Kiriath-Jerim and Abinadab. But when David arrived in Jerusalem, uh, his first priority was that he was going to provide the ark a proper resting place because he was anxious to bring the symbol of the presence of God back into the life of the nation. Um, the return of the ark this time didn't even go as, as David had anticipated you know, as well. Um, somebody mentioned earlier um, a, uh, an oxen um, stumbling. Do you remember the name of the young man, or they seem as a young man that, that uh, was killed? Uzzah. Okay. Uzzah, Uzzah, whatever it is. Um, he is the son of Abinadad. Um, so the story, you know, finally the ark was going to, David was going to bring the ark back. Um, there was much rejoicing um, in doing that. Um, hold on just a second here. Too many papers. So they had David. So what were some of the mistakes? Did David make some mistakes here when he was called for? Matt, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I, they, there was one way that the Israelites were supposed to carry that uh, or transport that ark, and they were doing it wrong. It was supposed to be with staves, golden staves through the hoops. Uh-huh. And the priests were supposed to be lifting it and carrying it on their shoulders, not put on a brand new cart, not with you know a herd of oxen pulling it. You just you do it the way God tells you to do it. So, I mean, David sent, it was, said it was placed on a brand new cart uh, with much fanfare. So you um, think, wow, he's, he's sending this brand new cart. He's doing all this stuff. But um, it, it wasn't the way that God had said, like, like Matt had said. The Levites were supposed to be carrying the ark on their shoulders. Um, they are the ones that were supposed to be transporting it from place to place. Now, um, Uzzah and his brother were there with the tr- transport, but it's, it says the oxen tripped, uh, and Uzzah reached out to, to steady it. And, and, I mean, just on the face of it, you think, well, you know, this seems to be, a, you know, what, he didn't want the ark to fall, and yet God struck him dead. Um, and David was upset about it as well. Um, but, uh, um, the Bible, I mean, there's nothing in there that says that the ark was going to fall. It was going to fall. It just says the oxen stumbled and that is all. And he reached out. Um, but it was very clear, um, in God's instructions, how that was supposed to be done. No one was supposed to touch it. Um, and it shows, you know, the severity of, of, of not taking God seriously in what he said and in the instructions that he gave. And it wasn't supposed to be on a cart. Right. 
Yeah, not on a cart, being carried by the Levites. Only supposed to be carried on the shoulders. Yep. Um, and so it was actually a few more months from that point until the ark actually got to Jerusalem because David was upset. They, they stopped the transport of it. And, uh, but it was brought, um, um, brought back and it remained there until uh, David's son Solomon built the temple. And the Holy of Holies in that temple became the final resting place of the ark. So, um, what happened to the ark? It says the ark came back into the temple and was there. Um, any ideas what, what happened to the ark? <coughs> I mean, I've given a few, a few of the common ideas that are listed you know, on the sheet that I gave you. I mean, no one knows for sure. Uh, the last time it's mentioned in Scripture is in 2 Chronicles 35.3 when King Josiah of Judah ordered the Levites, who are the caretakers of the ark, to place it in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but 40 years later, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon captured Jerusalem and raided the temple. Um, Less than 10 years after that, he returned, took what was left in the temple, then burnt it and the city to the ground. So, so what happened to the ark there? Was it taken by Nebuchadnezzar when he raided it originally or when he came back? Uh, was it destroyed in the city? Um, was it hidden or removed and hidden by someone else? Um, if you place any credence in Hollywood... Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> in, uh, in Raiders of Lost Ark, that's what happened. Somebody took it and hid it. I don't know if you remember exactly what, what happened there. I saw that movie a long time ago. And uh, Nazi <laughs> Evidently, Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh Shishak of Egypt raided the temple during the reign of Solomon's son Rehoboam and spirited the ark into Egypt. And that's supposedly where Indiana Jones meets up with it. Um, however, if, if the Pharaoh had managed to take the ark, then why did Josiah ask the Levites to return it to the temple? Um, you know, so this, this was supposedly before Nebuchadnezzar came. So this Pharaoh came, took it out, hid it. But yet, we, we, uh, in 2 Chronicles 35.3, um, it says that Josiah asked the Levites to return it to the temple. So I think that kind of defeats the, the argument. Yes? Uh, years ago, I asked this same question to a uh, Old Testament professor at Dallas called him on the phone and asked him. He said, there is a place in the Apocrypha. He said, all of these are just as much possibility, but he said, there's a place in the Apocrypha, and I don't know what the reference is. Second Maccabees. The ark being in a, hidden in a cave right. in Mount Nebo. Yes. But again, he said, that's just... So that is one of, that is one of the... One of the theories, Second Maccabees reports that just prior to the Babylonian invasion, Jeremiah, uh, following a divine revelation, ordered that the tabernacle and the ark should accompany him, and he went off 
uh, to the mountain which Moses climbed to see God's inheritance, and that was, and that was Mount Nebo. And in this story, when Jeremiah arrived there, he found a room in a cave uh, in which he put the tent, the ark, the altar of incense, and then he blocked up the entrance to that cave. And, and uh, evidently, um, no one else saw where it was because the, the, the entrance, the, the area was kept hidden, and it's uh, to remain unknown until God reveals it again. So that's, that's a non-biblical story uh, from Maccabees, a non-canonical book. Um, what is the reference to that? Do you have that? It's in 2 Maccabees. I don't have the exact, okay. All right. the exact reference here in front of me. Okay, thanks. Um, Can I make a comment? Sure. We're studying 1 Chronicles, and there's also parallel passages in 1 Chronicles um, 13, it talks about the incident with Uzzah, and in 15 and 16, it talks about the ark being brought to Jerusalem, and then in 18 and 19, it talks about the preparations in the temple, and then the final chapter, it's all passed on to Solomon. So mm -hmm. the Chronicles is truly the gateway to all these other passages of scripture that Herb is so amped aptly described. All right. <clears throat> um, in, I wonder if there's been any uh, excavation activity on Mount Nebo to try and locate that hidden cave. Um, I don't think so. I mean, one of the other theories is that it's actually under the Temple Mount. Of course, you have the Dome of the Rock on top of the temple, which the Muslims control. So they can't do any excavations there to even to look there but that's one of the other theories is that it's it is underneath in the temple mount um, interesting revelations eleven nineteen 19 uh, mentions as the ark being in heaven um, it says there that then god's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of the covenant and there came flashes of lightning rumbles peals of thunder an earthquake severe hailstone hailstorm and that verse leads some to speculate, pardon? Revelations eleven nineteen. 19. Um, it leads some people to speculate that the ark was taken up into heaven and preserved there. Um, but the ark that John sees in his vision, um, they, others say is probably not the same ark that Moses constructed because we're told that the articles in that tabernacle, I mean, in the tabernacle were copies of the heavenly things. So they're saying that the true Ark of the Covenant is in heaven, but the Ark that Mo Moses had built was a copy of that. Um, I mean, there's other theories. Um, like I mentioned, between in the Heaven Mount, there's another popular one of it being in Ethiopia. Um, there's a church there called St. Mary of Zion's Church in Axum, Ethiopia. Um, and they say that it is in in that church and there's a guardian that that guards it and protects it he's the only one that sees it and other than the next guardian who takes over and so there's really no confirmation there that you know that anybody can go in and take a look and see what's there uh another one that i found really interesting was that 
Uh, there's an Irish tradition that maintains the ark is buried under the hill of Tara in Ireland, and that's where the, the uh, tale of the Irish pot of gold at the end of the rainbow legend comes in, is because the ark of the covenant is buried in this hill in, uh, in Ireland. But, <laughs> but in, the, in the end, um, the ark remains lost to everyone except God. Um, many interesting theories. It's, never, it's not yet to be found. Um, while the ark would be a very incredible find to, to make, um, we need to remember that it is just a... Um, the ark is made of wood and gold. It holds no supernatural powers in itself um, other than the, the stories we see on, in the movies. Um, a testimony to the world of its validity. Yes. The overwhelming... Yes, it would. Um, God's presence in the, at the ark is what gave it its significance. And um, the writer of Second Maccabees might very well be right. Uh, we may not find out what happened to the lost ark until the Lord uh, himself returns. <coughs> so in effect, um, I mean, there really is no more need for the ark today. Um, Jesus has fulfilled all that the ark stood for. His blood was shed for our sins. His victory is attested by the fact of the power of his resurrection, and he is our mercy seat. Yeah. I was just going to comment that if the ark were actually identified and unearthed and put on public display somewhere, that it would become an object of worship, yeah. just like the brazen snakes were. Mm -hmm. And Joy and I were privileged enough to go to Israel, and we went into the Church of the Nativity. And in the Church of the Nativity is this slab that supposedly the body of Christ lay on in uh, preparation mm -hmm. for something being buried in those. And we observed scores of people from different churches around the world. They would come and they would take uh, scarves and crosses and stuff and they'd rub them on this thing trying to transfer some power to them so they could take them back and lay them on people who are sick and raise them for, you know, heal them. Also, also kiss the sled. Right. Oh yeah, right. it's, it's nuts. Yep. And if we had, yeah. if we had the altar, it would be that much more of a, a an idol. Mm -hmm. now. So I think God knew what he was doing when he made it go away. <laughs> Yes. And I had a very similar experience there. We went to the supposed place where Christ was born. And uh, it's a beautiful, magnificent church covered in gold and statuary and so on. And this little cave down in a little hole, slathered with gold and engravings and so on. And there was an oriental group in front of us. And these people were crawling into that little hole, probably about the size of those two tables together. And sobbing, and like he was saying, just yeah. touching things. They were worshiping that spot. Yes. It was very heartbreaking. Almost destroyed the trip for me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is never there. No. No. I remember the first time I went to Israel, uh, similar to that experience. Uh, my Old Testament professor was kind of leading it. Bruce Walkey and we made the comments that you guys are making and he said well you know a lot of this was done and I'm not I'm not 
endorsing it or anything, but I'm just trying to point out the reason why this came about. And that is, over the years, this is the way people felt they ought to worship. So they venerated these mm -hmm. these areas, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it, it, it shows you kind of the deterioration of the way worship has come over the centuries that, uh, you know, we, we venerate the place or something of that nature. Well, here's how we venerate the place. And, you know, there's almost a sense in which we're a little bit guilty of that today when we, uh, say, build this monstrosity of a church or this some beautiful edifice. People think more of the edifice than what the meaning behind it really is, but that's how all of that comes about. But in all honesty, the same kind of, you know, we get repulsed by that. There are other people in the world that think, oh, this is this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. We don't see it like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it was true in the in New Testament time where uh, Mount Ebal and Gerizim, you know, this is this is this is where you have to worship. Christ said, no, mm -hmm. that's that's not the way. Don't worship in either mountain. Yeah. <coughs> worship in spirit and truth. Okay, we're out of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you teach us in your word, how every, um, every part of it is, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. We thank you for all of this and for your word that you passed down to us. Uh, we thank you for this day, this Lord's day that you've given us, and we pray that you prepare us for uh, the service to follow. Keep we've our Open our ears and our hearts to uh, what you have to say to us today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.